Welcome in to the Cover 5 show. As always, I am joined by Hilo. We are going to be breaking down the AFC West defensive schemes. How are you doing today, Hilo? Good, man. A bit under the weather. Hopefully that doesn't come through. And if I cough, hopefully I'm going to try and hit that mute button before I do so. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually sad that you're under the weather, but I'm excited to get into this AFC West division because I like a lot of the defensive coordinators in this one. It's a very fun group, and it's a group that we know very well because they've been coaching for plenty of years, and it's not like a mystery box if we have to guess what's going to be coming. It's it's very plain, simple. This is who they are. This is what they're going to do, and this is how things work. The good news is this Cover 5 show will be on our podcast network, and it will be live very shortly. You can go and check back to multiple uh, different episodes where we broke down the NFC East, AFC East, we broke down the NFC North, AFC North, and the NFC West. And next week, we'll be doing my Panthers division, as well as the AFC South. But let's get it started. We're going to be going to the Broncos. Hilo, tell me about Vance Joseph's scheme. Vance Joseph, he's the madman. He <laughs> likes to play fast and aggressive. He plays high man rates. Um, interesting. We'll get into a little bit of the, uh, of the personnel that kind of mix with that here shortly. Um, but high blitz rates, high man coverage rates, and he, he likes to he likes his front seven to be fast and aggressive. So getting up the field into the backfield. Um, last season, thirty four point five percent blitz rate with the Cardinals. We kind of saw how he that played out with the Cardinals. They were giving up big plays, um, and it depends on the coverages behind uh, from a personnel standpoint, kind of how that is going to work out. The interesting thing w- about advanced joseph scheme is he we he like you alluded to earlier we kind of just know who he is and we know what he's going to do and he's really not going to change that very much so i would expect we'll, we'll talk about it here shortly but it's basically from a coverage standpoint they have pat sertain who's like all world already in his uh early part of his career and then it's like kind of what else do they have so um it'll be interesting if he's going to be hyper aggressive um they'll probably lock up some opposing wide receiver ones outside of that, uh, this could get interesting from a, uh, do we attack them? Do we know how to attack them? Um, perspective from a DFS standpoint. Yeah. From a DFS standpoint, I think the number one player, and it's going to be really simple, Travis Kelsey. I mean, they're, they don't have the bodies to match up with him. Nobody really does in today's NFL, but more importantly, the Cardinals week one last season, Against Patrick Mahomes out the gate, I think Kelsey had two touchdowns. He had like over 140 yards. That was Isaiah Simmons, who is a freak of a prospect. He's just not capable of guarding Travis Kelsey. I think this uh, scheme will not fare well against tight ends. The one thing I will say about Vance Joseph that was very interesting last year, he got away from cover one. Uh, 2020, he ran cover one at over a 40% rate, but then this past year it was only 17%. That could have been a personnel thing. That could have been just looking at, well, we have Byron Murphy and then not really many other great players outside of that. Well, this one, it's Pat Sertain, and we don't know how great these corners are, but I still have the draft. There's plenty of people to get in this uh, day two range that they can add to this team and get going. But from a coverage standpoint, right, they're going to blitz, which is going to allow less people in coverage than what normally is seen. And when you blitz a Patrick Mahomes, big plays are bound to happen. I think against the Jimmy Garoppolo, this thing will kind of work. But overall, 
I'm excited to see Vance Joseph take on a new challenge with this Broncos team, especially since they added one of their guys with Zach Allen coming over from the Cardinals, who I feel like is a very underrated player. Tell me what you like about uh, Zach Allen's addition to the Broncos. I mean, Zach Allen is a guy who's played under um, Vance Joseph his entire career. So he follows him over and it was basically a one for one with the loss of Draymond Jones. So they're getting that guy who can play on the edge, who can blitz off the edge. Um, And really he should fit well. And he was paid as such um, in this Vance Joseph scheme. So um, very clear case of this is kind of my guy. I'm going to bring him with me. um, And, and because he knows kind of what he is and how he fits into his scheme. Um, Like we talked about earlier, that scheme doesn't really change all that much. So um, he's, yeah, he's a guy who's, who can play at a high level under this scheme has proven it. He's very capable of getting up field fast, which Vance Joseph kind of likes off the edge. Um, but he's also capable of clogging, um, B gap running lanes, which is probably what he'll be asked to do, um, on a majority of second down snaps that he's going to see. So he's going to have to play that read where it's he's either coming off the edge or he's blocking those, uh, or clogging those B gap runs, um, off the weak side. Yeah. So with this scheme, you know, it's a different scheme from what Eddie Avaro ran, from what, uh, what you call it, uh, can't think of his name right now, not the Dolphins defensive coordinator, Vic Vangio, sorry, Vangio ran with the Broncos previously. This defense has been extremely talented and it played extremely great the last five years or so. Do you think that they can have that same success with this Vance Joseph scheme? Or do you think there's some deficiencies with the year one plan and maybe down the road when Sean Payton fixes the offensive side of the ball, they'll be able to return to elite status? Yeah, it's probably going to be a a case of middling for both the offense and the defense, I would think, this year. Um, Probably, I mean, there's nowhere else to go but up from the offense, uh, (laughs) which is going to relieve some of that pressure. Um, But in the same vein, this is a a completely new coaching staff from the top to the bottom. So um, it takes time in today's NFL game, as we've talked about before. So I think we're going to see a a more middling season from both sides uh, of the ball here for the Broncos. Um, And I think we're going to see an up and down uh, defense against the run and an up and down defense as teams kind of look for how they're going to attack this team on the back end through the air. Yeah. I think the most important uh, statistic to be paying attention to is how these quarterbacks are going to be faring against blitz rates and are blitzing teams. And then who are they targeting from the receiver perspective and how often they're getting these targets? Cause he likes to blitz. He blitzed Patrick Mahomes out the gate last season. Oh my he God, dude. <laughs> we'll blitz everybody out the gate. So I'm ex- interested to see how that kind of changes. Maybe Sean Payton tones him down a little bit. Highly unlikely. I think Vance Joseph is just who he is. And with that, you're going to get a lot of big play opportunities for some of these quarterbacks and situations. And the quarterbacks that struggle against the blitz will be the time to play them in DFS when they're a sub 2,500 defense. But let's move forward to one of my favorite schemes in the NFL. It's, it's the chargers. It's Brandon Staley, but my God, they just can't stay healthy to actually see it be run. Uh, Tell me about the Brandon Staley scheme and what you like or what you don't like. I've been targeting this defense uh, from a season long perspective as, as in drafting them for each of the last two seasons. And it's like, it hasn't worked out yet. And they just keep getting decimated by injuries. 
But who is Brandon Staley from a defensive coverage perspective? He is a Vic Fangio disciple, but he's much more aggressive. And we saw it on the offensive side of the ball where they're, you know, he's managing the game and he's going for it um, on fourth down when he should per the analytics. Um, and he's just very, very aggressive mindset. What does that mean? Well, he's very, very good also at disguising his fronts, disguising his coverages to create that confusion um, against an opposing quarterback. So he's looking to disrupt drives by generating mistakes out of the quarterback, whether that's taking sacks, whether that's throwing interceptions, you know, making mistakes is how he wants to um, disrupt drives defensively. It's a little bit um, what that has meant in, over the past two seasons as he struggled with those injuries is they have not been able to disrupt opposing drives. They've been towards the bottom of the league in turnovers generated. They've been um, towards the bottom of the league in defensive drive success rate allowed. And that's partly because of the division they play in and partly because <laughs> his personnel has really just fallen off the map of the earth as he's trying to kind of establish the identity of this defense. So it'll be interesting to see how they fare this year. Hopefully they remain a little bit healthier. Yeah. They have JC Jackson who went down very early on from injury. They have Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. They've got Asante Samuel Jr. Derwin James, those five players. It felt like every one of them was hurt at some point yeah. this past season and missed games. Asante Samuel is probably the healthiest one. And he really took a step forward this past season being asked to step up when J.C. Jackson went down. You look at that game against Miami, he was all over the field on Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. From a talent perspective, it's all there. They have the guys to run the scheme. They don't have it quite to the way that it was with the Rams because they don't have Aaron Donald at the middle of the pack to help out with a lot of the deficiencies they have in the run game. But they did bring in uh, Sebastian Joseph Day. They have uh, Morgan Fox from Carolina, who's a very good run stuffer. And then from a pass rush perspective, Bosa and Cleo Mack, perfectly fine to go after and get the quarterback. It's just a matter of whether they're staying healthy. Tell me what you like about the addition of uh, Eric Kendricks coming over from Minnesota and possibly yeah. helping some of that deficiency in the run game. Eric Kendricks is Eric Kendricks is probably still one of the more unheralded linebackers in the league. Um, what he's able to do, and he's not the biggest guy, he's not the fastest guy, but he is all there up top. Um, one of the smarter linebackers from diagnosing, understanding, positioning, and uh, being able to be in the right part of the field to make plays. Um, routinely is amongst the top one or two on whatever team he plays for in tackles, um, and he's very, very good at putting his body in passing lanes uh, in that first level of the secondary. So um, his addition here is going to help offset the loss of Troy Reader, Drew Tranquil, Kyle Van Noy, who's kind of a question mark at this point, has not signed anywhere. Um, but those three guys in that like second level, um, that linebacker unit is, is a big hole for what they have, you know, talent wise, what they have on the roster. And so Eric Hendricks is a big signing. Um, I'm a big fan of Eric Hendricks game. And I feel like he's just kind of this like disrespected uh, entity because he's not the fastest. He's not the biggest, um, but he's very, very football smart. And one of the things that I love about the Staley scheme and why J.C. Jackson was going to be such an important addition to it was with from a coverage perspective, what I believe the plan was for J.C. Jackson was to give him one side of the field mm -hmm. and he's essentially playing on the island. And usually Staley liked to give him the number two receiver and then take Asante Samuel with a safety and bracket that number one that allows for a lot of things to happen underneath. And then on the back end, like 
he asks the safeties to do a ton of things in coverage, whether it's rotating, whether it's playing the run. And Derwin James is arguably the best safety in football when he is fully healthy. May not be able to cover Travis Kelsey all the time. Not many people are able to do it, but I know that Staley has at least someone that can slow him down just a tad bit. Um, they did lose free safety in Nazir Adlery, who I believe retired. Yeah. Do they need to address this safety position in the draft? Probably. You look at their kind of the other safety other than Derwin James, and James can play pretty much anywhere <laughs> in the secondary because he's he's a freak. Um, yeah. But the the depth chart at free safety is pretty slim. They have Alohi Gilman and uh, JT Woods. Uh, Gilman is currently expected to be the starting free safety. They're probably going to mix and match dependent on package uh, between those two guys, but neither of those guys has extensive playing time. I mean, uh, Gilman is a 2020 sixth round pick. Um, so they don't really have the, um, the experience um, opposite Derwin James at that safety position. Um, but that, so yeah, I mean, there is, there's a dearth of talent, um, at the safety position in this year's draft. So it'd be interesting to see kind of how they do that. They also have some aging players on the offensive side of the football. So we'll see kind of how they choose to attack the draft here. Yeah. They need to address speed at the wide receiver position, but that's not here nor there. I think yeah. the addition of Kellen Moore calling offensive plays will hopefully allow Steely to step away from doing stuff with the offensive side of the ball. Like, I would wish that he would just take out uh, himself from that and let Kellen Moore just be Kellen Moore in the offense and go control the defense fully because they did lose their defensive coordinator who is now a linebackers coach with Miami, and he should take a bigger step with it. And with that, I think they need to address safety and they need to address nickel corner, uh, nickelback coming up. They Fine on the defensive line. I think they have the bodies up front, at least if they're healthy, <laughs> to be able to defend the run. And then obviously yeah. with Cleo Mack and uh, Bosa, they'll be able to get to the passer. But is there anything you'd like to add to this Brandon Staley scheme? No, I think we, we covered it pretty pretty surefirely. I don't know if that's not a word. but <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of surefire, we're now going to go to Steven yeah, Spagnuolo. Set you up. I absolutely love Spags as a defensive coordinator. I think it's such an underrating pairing, uh, underrated pairing with him and Andy Reid because Spags comes after you. He will do it in exotic stunts, and he is allowed to play with a lot of freedom because he knows his offense is going to put up 50 on whatever defense that you throw out there. If you go back to that 49ers game this past season, no Tyree kill, no problem for Patrick Mahomes to travel to San Francisco and put up over 30 points against one of the best defenses in football this past season. I don't think there's any stop in the offense, but let's get into Spags and his defense. Tell me about his scheme. Yeah, this is uh, you mentioned the uh, he'll get after you. He had a very NFL average-ish uh, blitz rate in 2022 at 20, uh, was it 24.2 percent? But mm -hmm. the way that he designs those blitz packages and primarily he's blitzing out of nickel, which is not done a ton in today's game. Um, and that's another story we'll talk about here shortly. But the way that he's able to disguise those blitzes um, is supremely effective. And the way that he's able to design a blitz package um, situationally, so he's not just one of those like defensive coordinators who's waiting for third and long to dial up a blitz uh, where it's very predictable. You just uh, throw a quick screen for first down. No, he's like, he's blitzing on first downs. He's blitzing on second downs. He's blitzing on thirds and he's not 
overextending his team by blitzing too much. It's just when he does blitz, it's highly effective because it's a unique look and it's at a unique um, time in the game situationally uh, that it, it increases the effectiveness of the blitz when he does. Um, mm-hmm. His defense is uh, interesting. I guess last year um, started very, very heavy just from a four, three base um, very not run of the mill, but he, he wanted to design things with those three linebackers on the field as they progressed into the second half of the year and into the playoffs, he ran heavy, heavy rates of nickel. So basically what does that look on paper Four two five with five um, defensive backs on the field? Um, and it, it proved to be highly effective because he was able to combine that unique blitz um, that he's able to design with it coming from nickel and the confusion that that brings for an opposing quarterback, it proved to be highly effective from a um, drive success rate perspective. Um, So it'll be interesting to see kind of how he carries that forward into this season, Um, whether he's going to go back to that kind of just standard, how it looks on paper for three base, uh, or if he's going to play from this heavy rate of nickel again, um, will be interesting to see. They had a stellar 2022 NFL draft, and it was a huge reason why they were able to go into that nickel package was Trent McDuffie. Trent McDuffie from the slot is scary. Legereus Sneed was able to mix and match with him throughout that season, but Trent McDuffie is a guy that just plays with such high instincts and also getting uh, Brian Cook, who's a safety that could come in and spot start when they needed it. You had Juan Thornhill over there. They're scheme this past season they went more cover two and i think that's also just the fact of watching themselves get or what stopped their offense was a lot of too high a lot of cover four type stuff so they flipped it and they ran a lot of cover two man and allowed their guys to kind of play with instincts and like i said he runs a lot of exotic like stunt packaging as well so chris jones and frank clark and just stunning these guys and getting them freed up and in spots where they can win it's a scary defense to play when Patrick Mahomes is on the other side of the offense or where you're trying to mitigate your, you know, turnovers and trying to control the ball against them. And then you have Spags just playing like a daredevil where he knows at any point his offense can go put up 40 so I can play with this different style. I can be a little bit more aggressive, but I can also, you know, calmly take the shots when I need to. And it slowed down, you know, the Bengals with Burrow this pat in the playoffs. It slowed down some of the teams when they needed it. But overall, I, I'm in love with Spag's team. I think they're going to see a lot more cover two man I have this upcoming year. And I think they'll be drafting, again, heavy defense because they believe that Mahomes is able to make it work with the offensive weapons he has. What do you think this defense needs to add? Yeah, so they they probably they lack depth at the um, on the back end, and the linebackers that they have on their roster are not necessarily the best fit for what they need if they're playing heavy from nickel. Um, yep. They're not these guys that are these speed demons and who are I w- I don't want to call them like not football smart, but. Um, they're not they're not Kendricks who we talked about earlier who yes. is able to diagnose um, coverages and stuff like that and that's why we see um, running back pass catching running backs tight ends um, excel against Spags defenses they really haven't had that um, athletic and and mentally tough linebacker core um, so it'll be interesting to see how how they kind of handle that um, they did lose um, Frank Clark this off season. 
Um, they brought in what's supposed to be a one-for-one replacement for him in Charles Omenihu, um, who obviously hails uh, from a long time in San Francisco. But um, yeah, they, there's that linebacker core that I think they, it could use some work um, from a like personnel versus schematic standpoint. Yeah. Overall, though, I think this Chiefs defense is perfect for what they have built on offense. I think the addition last season of Justin Reed was massive. I thought he was an underrated player when he was with Houston. Now he comes over to the Chiefs and he performs at a high level. Legereus Need is a corner that they stole in the 2021 draft. And then Trent McDuffie this past year to kind of they don't have, you know, the elite secondary. They don't have the elite defensive line. But Mm. when Chris Jones is cooking, there's not many people who can stop him. He's one yeah. of the top tier guys on the defensive side of the ball. Is there anybody that outside of maybe, I guess, Chris Jones that you think would be there unreplaceable with what they want to do defensively? I don't necessarily think unreplaceable. I think it's probably a case of they need these draft picks who they've taken over the past couple of years to really step up. I'm talking about George, George Karlaftis on the uh, opposite side of Chris Jones. Uh, 2022 first round pick. Um, you talk, you mentioned Trent McDuffie, 2022 first round pick. Um, but uh, guys like in the linebacker core, Willie Gay and Nick Bolton, um, who are Nick Bolton was a second round pick in 2021. Willie Gay, a 20, a second round pick in 2020. So they kind of need these guys that they've invested in through the draft to really step up to um, plug, not really the holes, but kind of just to elevate the overall um, composition of this defense. And I think the offensive side of the ball where you saw Patrick Mahomes be a little bit more methodical this year, that also helps your defensive side of the ball and being able to do that just allows everything to flow a little bit better. And then, you know, when they need to, they can take the junk plays and they're again, we saw the Eagles put up plenty of points on this defense, but when they locked in and locked down, they were uh dominant in that second half and i think that's just a credit to spags adjusting to certain things and then also chiefs keeping the eagles offense off the field but is there anything else you'd like to add about a steve spagnolo scheme nope moving forward to our last one of the day we will be talking about the raiders with patrick graham tell me about patrick Graham's scheme yeah patrick graham we don't really know too much about him um what we do know is he likes to run a three, four base um, that puts additional stress on the linebackers. Uh, as we've talked about before, he ran last year, he ran heavy zone from cover three and cover six, as well as trips. Um, and that basically led to, or I guess what exacerbated the issues is he was highly um, predictable from his blitz packages. So he was like one of those guys who we alluded to earlier, who's waiting for second and long, third and long to, to really bring the blitz. So when you're playing that kind of soft coverage through cover three, cover six and, and trips where you're really, you're daring teams to attack the middle of the field. Um, and you mix that with very predictable blitzes. We see a defense that could struggle at times to get off the field. You know, last year they allowed 24.6 points per game. That was 26th in the league. So um, there's a lot that needs to be addressed, I think, from this unit. Uh, what are your thoughts here? My thoughts on uh, Patrick Graham here is that he's a Bill Belichick disciple, and we're, we haven't seen him get a strong, you know, defensive core. Like, he hasn't had 
the most talented of defenses throughout his career. He was in Miami for Brian Flores his first year where it was notoriously the quote unquote tank season. You saw him go to the Giants where they didn't exactly have the greatest of talent when he got there. And now he's with the Raiders where it's not a supremely talented defense. Um, the addition of Marcus Epps, I think, was a good signing for them. Uh, Brandon Faison from the Colts, he was a solid corner, but they need talented pieces on this defense to be able to see what he's actually trying to get done. And it might be some time. I'm really hoping they stay out of going quarterback in this year's draft. They're in a top 10 pick, and they have the ability to draft a very good player to help out this defensive side of the ball. I'm not saying Jimmy Garoppolo is the answer forever for the Raiders, but it feels like they should just be looking to add great players because they went three drafts where it felt like they didn't add a single player that is still on this roster. Um, they lost in the offseason Andrew Billings, Denzel Perryman, I guess Clone Farrell, but overall, like this defense just lacked talent when he got here. They didn't really add too much outside of Marcus Epps and Brandon Faison. And they need to add talent into the draft so that they can get things going. But what do you think about him from a blitz rate perspective? Yeah, I mean, last year he was above average and 26.2% in 2022. But again, it was highly predictable. So um, he's not really blitzing heavily on first downs. He's not really looking to blitz from unique packages. It's, it's a little bit more run of the mill. So when you get that in today's NFL game, um, the quarterbacks are just too damn smart at diagnosing it, reading, uh, and being able to adjust for that. Yeah, and I mean, again, they have two defensive ends that can get after the passer, but I think they're going to continue to struggle in the run game. They don't have the big bulky bodies up front, and it's difficult to imagine that on the back end that they have the corners to really defend some of the opposing wide receivers. I think this is a defense where, as long as you can limit Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, you're going to be able to get it done. And you're going to be able to get it done through the air or through the ground. There's no real strong point. Like, I'm looking at their linebacking core, and it's not pretty. Like, I feel like they desperately need to be adding as many pieces as possible in the draft. Do you have any thoughts on just their personnel as a whole? Yeah, I mean, they have some talent, but they also have some some gaping holes in uh, from a talent perspective on this team. So uh, you mentioned the linebacker core. You mentioned the the secondary is uh, pretty much a case of haves and have nots. So how are they? They're probably a couple years yet away from being a defense that is actually able to perform at a high level. Um, so we could see them struggle again. Uh, case remains open whether or not they're going to give up, you know, 24.6 points a game. Um, and the offense is probably going to have a lot to do with that as well, whether they're able to uh, sustain drives um, or not with a new face of a <laughs> face in the quarterback room. So um, I think it could be another year that they struggle this season. Um, and it depends on their draft and development and whether they're able to uh, maintain some of these high marquee names, um, whether or not that'll turn around here shortly. All right. Well, that will conclude our cover five show for the AFC West defensive schemes. And be sure to tune into this on Spotify or Apple. If you happen to miss the first section of this, we'll be able to have it blasted through all platforms. I will be promoting it through my Twitter at Jordan Vanek DFS. I know Hilo at Hilo FF will be promoting it as well. I appreciate 
everybody that tuned in and hopefully you learned something new about the defensive schemes going forward. But that is all we've got for the Cover 5 podcast.